0: Before we begin, we'd like to note that the views expressed on this podcast are those of the participants and do not necessarily represent the views of the Department of Defense or any of its components, including the US Army, Navy, and Marine Corps, nor do they represent the views of any other agency of the US government.
1: listening to Combat Exclusion, where we explore the realities of the U.S. military's gender integration efforts. I'm Chandler, former Army officer and 2017 West Point grad.
0: And I'm Johanna, an aspiring judge advocate and 2018 West Point grad. Thanks for joining us.
1: There
2: are times where people are like, oh, you are a female in this organization or you're a female combat engineer, like, what does that mean? It's like, I'm a combat engineer. I am a leader. I am not a female leader. I'm not a female combat engineer. Like I'm just as capable and just as equal to all the guys that I work with. Women have to manage their expectations because we did choose a job that's hard and you're not gonna be able to do everything you want all the time. Like if we're volunteering to be that person in that breach we have to be there because if we're not there they're going to look down on us
1: everyone welcome our guest today captain jordan kelly she's an engineer officer a 2018 west point graduate and is currently a battalion engineer so welcome jordan
2: Thanks. Super excited to be here. And we're super yeah, we're
1: happy s- to
0: have you. Yeah, super excited to have you on board. And obviously, um, being my classmate, it's super fun to, to talk to you and, and see where you are at in your career. So um, we're just going to get started and jump right in. Um, if you could just, obviously, we just talked about your commissioning source, but could you give a little background into like, you know, where you're from, um, what inspired you to serve, and what inspired you to choose your branch? And just give us a little history about yourself
2: okay so um, I'm originally from New York. Uh, I actually lived in England for six years growing up and um, I attest that to being a large part of why I joined the military um, while living there we got to travel a lot and um, one of the places we got to go to was Dubai on a um, family trip with kind of in conjunction with my dad's work and while we were there an extremely distinct like moment in memory of our trip and at the time I didn't understand the context or the impact of it was going to one of the malls there and watching how um the Muslim people and locals kind of interacted with each other and one of the things I asked my mom was why are all these women like following these men around the the mall and she's like oh those are their wives and they're not like able to go anywhere by themselves. And one of the things while we were there was like, we had to travel with my dad every time we moved, we went anywhere. And it was just very different culturally, the way that women were treated. And at the time I didn't understand really what that meant in like its impact to me. But when I was in high school trying to plan like my life and where to go to college, um, I did a visit to West Point cause we only lived 45 minutes from West Point, And I realized I am someone that has the ability, the freedom and the right to kind of serve and protect the rights that we have as women and the freedoms we have as women that are not inherent in other countries and I'm someone that could take up that role and take that mantle on and was strong enough and physically capable and able to apply and actually be competitive to get in. And I said, you know what? Like I want to I want to go to West Point. Like I want to serve and I I think it's worth it. Like we have a country of women who have these freedoms that we need to fight for and maintain because other women do not have those rights like we do so um that really empowered me like that memory like that imprint of that moment really empowered me to join the military and kind of serve our country and the rights and the constitution that um give us the freedoms that we have so that was kind of the context there um i majored in chemistry while I was there with explosives and nuclear engineering as my focus. So I got to do a lot of really interesting um, trips and travel and spend time doing a lot of research, which was wonderful. And while I was doing that, my mentor, who is now the department head at West Point for for physics and nuclear engineering, um, was an engineer officer and heard I wanted to be a chemical officer. He's like, no, that won't do. I was like, what do you mean, sir? He's like, you need to be an engineer officer. Like, I don't know what you do with this chemistry, like chemical engineer, like whatever, but you can't be a chemical officer. And he said, go do research. Like he knew me well enough to not tell me, I, I, I can't be told what to do, but he's like, go figure it out, but you need to be an engineer officer. And, um, lo and behold, he was right. Uh, he said, um, I think biggest reason I picked engineers is how diverse the branch is, how many opportunities there are for women to do pretty much whatever you want. If you wanna be more of a desk jockey, there's that option. If you wanna be in the thick of it in the combat engineer side, you can be, there's more technical aspects with vertical and horizontal. And I think just seeing that it was a very people oriented branch um, really drove me to to select that. And it was my first choice Um, and I selected being in a BEB, a brigade engineer battalion um, as my first choice because I wanted to be a combat engineer as a platoon leader. I really wanted to be doing um, battlefield area development and engagement area development and just working in the thick of the combat engineer role as an enabler and as like a, a, a strategist and a tactician more so than just like the grunt punching through walls. Like I wanted to use those kind of mental skills and meet them where the the enemy was at. So, um, I had a really good platoon leader time where I got to spend a year and a half as a platoon leader, go to NTC. We did a full train up for a year with my platoon, went to NTC with my platoon. Um, I had the assault and obstacle platoon. So I was in charge of breach assets and dig assets, which was incredibly, um, it, it was an amazing opportunity because it was incredibly enlightening to see where your combat assets meet with your construction assets on the battlefield and how that can shape the battlefield. And, um, we helped shape multiple combined arm breach areas and it was just like a really good experience. So I think picking engineers was really reinforced when in the near time. And now I'm doing more of a staff project management position, which I also love because it's challenging and innovative and a whole different way. So I've, in the four years I've been in the Army, I've gotten to see both the comm engineer side and the kind of project management, facility management, construction engineer side. And I, I think it's been really nice to have that contrast. So yeah, <laughs> that's where I'm at. <laughs> yeah. So oh, I married at. a classmate. Um, so I am due military, um, my husband's an aviation officer. So that has created its own really fun, um, challenges sometimes because of balancing our careers, um, the plan right now is that we're both thinking about staying in for 20 and just, and riding it out and doing the thing together. Cause, um, for a while I didn't want to stay in. I was not happy, but I realized that your leaders make more of an impact on your happiness than you realize. So when you have bad leaders, it can totally destroy your mentality of the army. And when you have good leaders, it is empowering. And I have had some really good leaders recently and they've made me realize I wanna be that person for someone else to empower them to follow their dreams if that is in the military or not. And I don't want people to get out of the army because um, they have someone that isn't taking care of them as a person. So um, we are doing military, no kids yet, but um, that has definitely created its own obstacles to kind of overcome.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, So you mentioned wanting to be in a BEB initially. And so for those listening, that's usually a fairly 12 Bravo heavy combat engineer heavy um, unit. So what was it that made you want to do that? Because there are aspects of the 12 Bravo MOS that were very recently integrated. But at what point were you when the repeal itself occurred? And then what kind of drove you to want to join an MOS that might have very little female representation
2: within it? um I was actually at West Point I think 2016 yeah we were I think I was watching the first like the seniors doing the thing and going infantry and um there were a couple of women in my company that were um going one that switched halfway they'd, they'd branch something else and switched to infantry or switched to armor their second semester after they already branched um and that was awesome to see like just how driven they were and I think for me I've always had this like apprehension about I, I'm like totally all for being a first of something like I I could care less but I'm gonna go do the do it. But I think with the 12 Bravo world, I really did like the tactical aspect of it and I did like the um I mean I I did not this sounds kind of cliche but I did explosive research and chemistry and stuff like I wanted to be where the action was. Like I didn't want to be I wasn't a civil engineer. I per I did not like that kind of stuff. So I was like I want to be where the action is but I really could care less about dealing with the infantry thing and and just being, a, I wanted to be a, a strategist at a different level, um, with a little more of a challenge than just your standard platoon attack or ambush. So um, I think I, I also think I like the, I love the challenge of being the only one, of being the first, of being one that kind of trailblazes. Um, sometimes I think it's a little of my ego and my pride getting in the way, but I do like that um, opportunity to show people like, when I got to my platoon, it was I was the only, I was first female platoon leader for half a good half of them, um and it showed. Like everything I did, I had to prove myself because they're like, "Oh, you're a woman. You can't. You're not as good." And and it was a subtlety. It wasn't obvious. It wasn't necessarily outright, but it was there enough that I felt the need to to push, to drive, to prove myself every step of the way. But I think one of the things I've I've always strived to do is like I'm going to show them that women can do exactly what the guys can do, and I think while at West Point, I had a lot of people kind of backing me in that concept of like Jordan need to go be the woman that's there showing everyone like you can do it, women can do it, like you have the the confidence and you have um, just kind of like the, I'm a little bit more tough skinned, <laughs> things don't really bother me as much, so I think my mentors at West Point encouraged me to do that because they saw that in me and and saw that I was going to be um, successful in those situations where maybe some wouldn't be as successful, so.
0: Yeah, you you mentioned mentors, and I would love to ask you, did you have any female mentors or did you mostly have male mentors? And then what role did those mentors play uh, in in pushing you towards um, the career that you've chosen for yourself?
2: Um, Actually, it's funny. I think I'm only had male mentors. Um, and what's funny is when, when that concept comes into mind, when I, while we were at school, um, someone, I don't remember where it was. I think it was like a PL 300 class, or some, one of our classes, but it talked about being a good mentor to women. And it talked about how men in the army need to be good mentors to women and not just good mentors to men, because it is a different type of mentorship. It's a different um, compassion and empathy and understanding because you're mentoring someone that maybe wants to be a mom, maybe wants other goals in life than just driving straight through 20 years. So every time I think of all my male mentors, I always think of that concept of men need to be good mentors to women. And um, to this day, I call my army dad, Colonel Hartke. Um, like I said, he, he's still the department head um, at West Point. He is probably one of my like, First people I call if I have like when I had a bad day when I was a senior, I called him and he told me, put your head down, take care of your sappers, do what's right by your people and it'll all work out like like he he's always encouraged me as a person, as a leader. Um, he's always told me to be true to myself as, a, as an officer and true to my character and, and just put the hard work in and it'll pay off. He's given me some great advice that I've taken. He's given me some great advice that I haven't taken. Um, but he's always kind of the person that I know if I'm having a bad day in the army, I can call him and he's going to set me straight and be like, it's a bad day. It's not a bad career. Um, and he said, is it a bad day or is it a bad like situation? Um, and he's, he's given me some really good advice about just assessing when I want to get out of the army and, um, stuff like that. So, um, and then I'd actually say one of my most recent bosses, um, my old exo, he switched out recently, but, um, he, has been one of the best people I've ever worked for, and I'm going to call him my mentor because he isn't getting rid of me, and he knows this. Um, we we talked. I've sent him some stuff since he's left uh, his current role to get his opinions on a white paper I'm working on, and and other stuff. And and I think the reason we clicked was because our personalities just meshed so well, and he met me where I was at, and like our brains just kind of melded sometimes, and I could just say things like we had a very good shorthand, and um, and I think having a good mentor is someone that you can trust to kind of have a bad day with and have, and be good on your good days. Like, I think that's one of the things, like I felt safe having bad days and knowing that they wouldn't see those as who I am, but that I'm growing and I'm struggling and they're going to help me through that struggle. And, and that's okay. So I do think those are probably two of my like top mentors. And I think one of the things you, you see as an army officer and sometimes as a female is that you kind of um, shift to mentors in certain roles or different jobs, you have like someone that you lean on as a senior leader that's a mentor um, who maybe doesn't stick after that point, but you can rely on them in that moment, and they try to take care of you. And I think that's important to kind of acknowledge because um, just because they're not going to be someone I you know necessarily reach back to all the time, those relationships I still know are there, and if you know one day I need some their opinion or something, I think I can still lean on those people. So I think having mentors is really important. Um, I've actually tried finding female mentors in the past. Um, And I don't know if it's just personalities or if it's just uh, we're not great at keeping up with each other or what, but I have never clicked with a woman enough to keep her as a mentor long term or anything. Um, I think part of it's also being dual military is kind of tough. And when you look for a female mentor, you look for someone that looks like you. And it's very hard to find a female mentor that looks like me. I think in my home relationships, um, and it's actually something I've really looked at and told Taylor that I want to do is do more reach back and mentorship as we get older, as a dual military couple, because I think it's so hard to find dual military couples, and um, you know you you see what, uh, couples that are maybe in the same branch. And that's not that hard sometimes, like, you know, it's relatively easy when you have two combat arms branches or an aviator and a non-aviator, like you start throwing it or Joe, in your case a you know, freaking Marine and <laughs> Marine aviator too, which makes it all kinds of more complicated and army. Um, it's so hard to find someone that can relate to you in a way that you feel like you can kind of open up to them. So I think that's probably why I've struggled with the female mentor. Cause I think I'm looking for someone that relates to me in that respect. Because all the men, like, I know they're not going to relate to me in that respect, it's a little different. Um, So yeah, I think that's probably one of the reasons I haven't clicked with any any women strongly so far.
1: It's interesting, um, two of the things that you said, one, where you want to pick mentors who kind of look like you, Um, and I think the goal of this is to hope for for women like you to stay in and be retained by the army for the right reasons so that in the future there are senior female leaders who are representative of women's experience as they move through and then um, something that i'd love for you to talk a bit more about you've already mentioned a couple times is your relationship with your husband obviously you guys are dual military Um, in what ways has that been difficult, in what ways has that been more challenging, do you think, or maybe not more challenging because you're a woman, or do you think it's just the nature of service?
2: I have so many feelings about dual military. Some of it is systemic. I think the Army does not support our dual military nearly enough. I think the MACP program is not sufficient to do what it needs to do to retain successful or driven or, or good military leaders um I think we it's a cop-out sometimes like we allow mistakes in the system to um potentially ruin families staying together and I think that's unacceptable so I I have a lot of feelings that maybe I haven't so um I think so starting off we spent the first two years of our marriage distance combined with flight school and a rotation that hit Taylor immediately as soon as he got back from flight school um and then fortunately I will say I had some leaders that had some compassion and that were really good leaders who took care of us. And um, my brigade was set to deploy three months after his got back. And I was like, OK, like we're about to do this again. Um, and they, they pulled me into their office one day and said, you know, we're looking at you as the rear D commander um, potential like candidate. Um, they said we want to leave someone behind that is going to actually take care of our rear D and we're not going to come back to a, a whole disaster. and um, the only caveat they were worried about is I was only a first lieutenant at the time. And most of the time it's a, it's a full command billet. So they were worried the brigade commander would not support non 03s being the, the role. And, and usually it's a senior O3 who's already, it's their second command potentially. Um, luckily my brigade commander was supportive of it and my battalion decided to let me take on the role. So I was actually able to stay home. And, um, that was amazing, the rear D experience was awesome in and of itself, but um, it was tough because I think what you always have to look at with dual military too is the balancing of your home life with work. And during that season, Taylor's job was a little bit easier, a little bit slower. So he was getting home at a relatively decent hour, whereas I was getting home at after 7 p.m. almost every day. Whereas now I'm on a staff position, I have a little bit of an easier time, and he's getting home after 7 p.m. every day. So I just, I feel very blessed at this stage because we haven't had the point where we're both doing the busy 7 p.m., 8 p.m. schedule every day at the same time. But something that we're always looking at is how are we going to overlap or try not to overlap our command time? Because that is the most demanding time as a captain is when you're in command. And that's going to be really hard for us to balance our home life and and our marriage if we can't, Kind of time and manage and uh kind of career manager our, our uh schedules well enough to kind of have overlapping or non-overlapping command time um i think posting together is also an extremely deliberate process um being dual military is the most deliberate planning process you will ever have to go through um it is not something you can do on a whim you cannot do it on the fly you cannot do it last minute and i think um the army makes it even when you do everything right you submit the paperwork a year ahead, you have all the right leaders on your side, HRC can still come back and say, oh, we messed it up. And that almost happened to us. Um, luckily, I had a, a couple leaders that were able to kind of fix it and uh, smooth out the wrinkles. But there's many relation, women and um, spouses that don't have that. And they end up not getting the you know joint uh, positions or the joint domicile that they're, you know, should have gotten because they did the hard work. So to me, it's silly because if we do all the hard work and it still doesn't work, then the system's broken. So um, I think from a perspective of interpersonal and just like relationship wise, my husband comes home and hears me complaining about the being the only woman in the room so often that there's times when he comes home and he says, yeah, I noticed this, like there was a woman, like he almost like echoes it back to me and he can see it so much better because he hears me complaining about it. And so I think from his, for him, it makes him a little more of a compassionate leader towards the women in his uh, workplace because he knows how much I struggle. Um, so he tries to kind of give that back to them. So I do think, I do try to be open with him about the struggles I have because I think it helps him become a better leader um, and helps him grow. So he's my biggest cheerleader. I've never felt that, honestly, if he, he encourages me to do more stuff and, and go places and travel and just be busy more than I would, you know, I encourage him because I just have had the opportunities. So I think I'm very fortunate to be married to the man that he doesn't, there's no kind of alpha. He's worried about me doing cooler, more crazy ground people things because he's a Navy and He doesn't really care, but um, I've always felt super supported by him in, in my goals and my dreams. And Um, We just are always talking about like, who is in the phase where they need to be the priority, who needs to be the one that we're putting their career first or we're balancing career management so that neither of us feel like we're losing opportunities because we're compromising for the other person too many times so I think that's like the biggest thing.
0: Yeah. I mean, that's, that's amazing to hear that can your testimony and that, you know, your relationship has has grown stronger and that he, you know, you both benefited from almost mentorship between a family and you're definitely right. Um, Relationships in the military take work and take time, but I want to hone in um, and talk about something that you mentioned, which is being the only woman in the room. And could you just kind of talk about what that experience is? Like how often are you the only woman in the
2: room? Um, What do you find that experience to be like? Um, it's a lot. <laughs> um, it is more frequent than I think I even acknowledge now. Like I think it's become the norm for me. So, um, like just last week, I was the only woman in the room for a meeting, and I was speaking up relatively like a, a decent amount about an issue that we were talking, we were discussing. And I looked around and I said, "Oh, I'm the only woman here, and I am talking a lot. I wonder how that's coming off." Um, and I was the only. Uh, female E five or above in my company as a platoon leader, so there were no females uh, leader like representation in my company um, when I was a, a platoon leader, which was rough because when we went to NTC. I had to have some very difficult conversations with the platoon sergeants and the other platoons, and basically be like, "You need to take care of your females. Like these are the things you need to be aware of and need to be more sensitive to because you can't just let leave them out to dry. Like they're E fours and below, they don't have like that confidence to speak up for themselves in some cases, and they're just going to suffer through whatever they're dealing with that you do not understand, or you're not acknowledging, or you don't know about. So be sensitive to those things and maybe have those conversations beforehand. Um, And I really tried to like mentor the women in my company because a lot of times they were the only woman in their squad or their platoon. Um, We had, I had two female soldiers, but um, you know, the other platoons only had one each I think was the total. So, um it can be hard i I think sometimes it can make you come off as more aggressive or assertive and loud than um you would be if it was a room full of other women who were also speaking up um I, i think to a point it doesn't matter like you're all leaders and if you're all leaders in the room it should not matter what your gender is when you're speaking up about leader issues And I think I'm an organization that feels that way more often than not, fortunately. And they take my opinion as coming from a leader, not coming from a female. Um, But there are times where people are like, oh, you're a female in this organization or you're a female combat engineer. Like, what does that mean? It's like, I'm a combat engineer. I am a leader. I am not a female leader. I'm not a female combat engineer. Like I'm just as capable and just as equal to all the guys that I work with. And you know what? I can kick half their butts anyway. So like, it doesn't really like, like, and then uh, my favorite was when I was, um, first a platoon leader, my soldiers would compare my PT score to theirs and be like, well, ma'am, you take it on the women's scale. So like, you're not equal. So every time I took a PT test, I can, I put it on the men's scale for my age. And I would tell everyone that was uh, not beating me on the men's scale said, yeah, y'all should be on remedial PT because apparently LT is beating you. So it's like stuff like that, that like, sometimes you feel like you have to equal yourself and you need to make the playing field equal because you're the only one, so you're the outlier. Um, But I I do think it it can be hard. You can feel kind of isolated when you travel being the only female on a trip can be really tough because you're balancing relationships and the social opportunities with boundary lines and not letting people say, oh, she's hanging out that guy too much. They must be, you know, screwing around and which is such an easy assumption people start making, which is completely inaccurate. So I think it can be tough because you have to balance your boundary lines, your social opportunities, your relationships, and just like building relationships and not feeling like you're on the outside looking in when you're you know in a in a meeting or on a trip and everyone else is hanging out and you're kind of just the only female there so
1: yeah absolutely something um that you mentioned that i think is important is the physicality aspect and so obviously before the repeal happened you hear all of these things like are women going to be able to keep up physically is this a possibility for women to be fit to this standard um, and then obviously you're aware of the last few years with the Army Combat Fitness Test, the new fitness exam, which was an effort to kind of create a gender neutral standard based on occupational specialty, and then how that kind of got reined back. Um, and is now getting re- revised and revisited again, I believe. I'm, I'm almost out, so I'm not fully <laughs> up to date on this, but um, what are your thoughts kind of about the, the fact that there are gendered standards, um, the pros and cons of having gendered standards and what you would like to see in essence, as far as a physical fitness test for soldiers goes?
2: Anyone who was with me the day I found out I went back to genders would would, can tell you I was livid, I was (laughs) floored, I was so mad. Um, all I could think about with those days, I had to freaking convert my PT score because my soldiers didn't see my score as even valid, even though I got like a 300 plus something or whatever I got. They were like, Yeah, you're on the female scale, it doesn't matter. So, this whole gender equality thing, and, and this might be an extreme. The perspective, but basically went out the window when they put gender back on it. Like, thank you, Army, for <laughs> returning us to the days of the PT test where women were not equal. Um, and we're not capable of being equal. And I think it and it's tough because this is coming from maybe a, a privileged perspective of someone that is a little bit more physically fit. I'm, I'm younger. I haven't had any children yet. So my body hasn't changed in certain ways to to support uh childbearing. And you know I, I am fortunate to have um a pretty good physical basis and stuff so again this is, is coming from a very personal perspective that i understand many women were really glad to see gender standards come back because they felt that it wasn't you know equal and and our physical capabilities are not equal but i think we are missing the point of why we shouldn't have gender standards and the point is if we go into combat, if we go into battle, you have to be able to physically hold your own, no matter what your gender is, no matter how old you are, no matter who's to left and right of you. And the problem, the base problem of the physical reasons, I think that my soldiers and the men around us were like, you need, you are not equal is because if we're in a firefight, if something happens and your vehicle rolls and you cannot pull your battle buddy out of the vehicle because you're not strong enough they can't trust you in that situation. And it's like a very raw, very kind of extreme like circumstance to talk about, but four years ago it wasn't super out of the norm if we were still in the middle East. And that's what we had as our basis of physical capabilities. Like what did it look like during the surge when we had constant firefights and injuries and pulling your battle buddy out of, you know, whatever situation you have to be physically capable. And just because you're not in a combat MOS does not mean you're not gonna end up in a convoy where you could have to do those kind of things. So I think I I really see it from a perspective of as an engineer, even though I might not be in a combat engineer position my whole life, I still need to be able to hold myself accountable to those standards for my guys to trust me and to follow me. Because if I can't physically hold my own to protect them and take care of them in the way they need me to, then they're not gonna wanna follow me the same way they're gonna wanna follow a guy. They see who can do those things. So I think it's hard for me to see that we put gender standards back on because we're basically saying it's okay for women to be a little less and a little less capable. And I'm not saying gender standards, like there are soldiers in my platoon that could not lift, run, or physically do crap compared to me or my platoon sergeant who was like 10, 15 years their senior. So it's funny to me that people are like, oh, like all these young bucks. No, these young bucks can't do shit either. As like, (laughs) they're there, they come out of AIT so weak and worthless. Like, they couldn't do one pull up. Like, I'm like, you're not really, there's not really a high standard here that we're like, men can do all these crazy things and women can't. Like, these 20, these 18 year old soldiers are coming out of like AIT after playing a bunch of video games. Like, they're not like these freaking PT studs. So, the standard isn't even that high anyway for the guys. So, why are we acting like we can't raise the bar for everyone across the board and just make it an equal standard? So you got me on a soapbox, but, but the, I, I think the physical standard is, it's supposed to be unified because our job is unified. If we want equality in our jobs, we have to have equality in the standards of those jobs, such as the physical capabilities that you have to do. If you would to be able to score the same on the range, you would to be able to score the same on the PT test, in my mind. So I think age ranges was smart i think that makes sense like Mm -hmm. as you get older you're not going to do the same things and as you get older you get farther away from the the objective like you really aren't in a situation where you're in the firefight if you're a lieutenant colonel and higher so like what are our standards um for that and i think rank was a a standard at one point there was an mos and a rank standard and i thought that was great because again farther up you get if you're in a company if you're a field grade or a company grade those are two very different roles you're performing on the battlefield so i think it's important for us to look at how we operate as an organization on the battlefield and what physicality is required in those situations so i think mos requirements make sense i think rank i think age but i think gender is useless and i think it's insulting to us as women to say that we can't hold our own at the same age same MOS, same whatever as our male counterparts. I think we're sh- sh- like cutting ourselves short by doing that. I think we're just basically saying we're equal, but we're also not equal, and we can't push ourselves to meet the standard that we're all supposed to be meeting anyway. Sorry.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, I mean that's. I think I think you gave a really. I, I appreciate the nuance you showed in that. Like this, this perspective is personal. Like uh, we've been saying a lot of, you know, experience breeds perspective. So like, experience you have. But I appreciate you being nuanced nuanced about it. And I think it is an important conversation to have um, that, you know, while we acknowledge that women are different um, in in the MOS or in the job that we're doing, we want to acknowledge that we need to be on the same, you know, the same level of trust. And a lot of that trust is built in our physicality. And so I kind of want to... talk about something you highlighted in your conversation, and that was about being deployed. So you talked about the combat experience and being deployed. So have you been deployed? And if so, what was that experience like? Um, Keeping in mind that, you know, operational security matters, we don't need to say anything specific, but just talking about, you know, what was the experience like to be a woman um, on a deployment? And and how did that change your perspective about, um, you know?
2: Yeah, no, I I actually have been deployed, actually, um, actually relatively recently. So Um, It was a very different experience, maybe some that deployed two, three years ago, since the combat, the theater is very different right now. Um, And the people I deploy would operate very differently and deploy very differently. So um, my experiences maybe aren't as combat heavy, I will say, because I am deploying with a staff officer and a staff support officer. So I don't really leave the wire too, too much. (laughs) Um, If I am, it's probably not for the right reasons. Um, But from a female perspective, I was actually the only female on my shift. There's only two females total on the compound out of 90 people that we had um, like for our cohort, um, not on the compound total, but like in our organization's cohort. Um, actually, probably if you look at the total cohort, it's probably more than 100 people that was like male female group, but um, there's only two of us and my roommate was an E5 on the day shift and I was the only like female. Leader on the night shift or female on the night shift. So it, it was tough because building relationships in those kind of environments is you are balancing so many nuanced emotions and feelings and just like your safety, but also your desire to have social interaction and have someone to connect to. Um, I wasn't, I was only, I only did a 30 day deployment. So it wasn't like a long time, but I actually went um, by my, I didn't have anyone, I wasn't going with like my organic unit. So I actually went and didn't know anyone when I showed up, which was also tough because you don't know who to trust and you have to find people to trust very quickly who you're like, okay, I can lean on this person within like a day or two, because otherwise you kind of go insane. You feel too isolated. So, um, I got closer with one of our senior NCOs and, um, we just clicked we personality wise we clicked and we kind of had a similar like job operation operational area so we worked together We, we got all our meals together we went to the gym together like we pretty much did mostly everything like outside of the like workspace together um and i'm fortunate because i'm in an organization that doesn't really assume things about relationships but i'm very like honestly it very much could have been assumed like someone could have been like oh like you know, what's going on there? Because we did spend a lot of time together. I mean, that being said, again, there was some work relationship there. So it was kind of warranted, but, um, I became friends with a couple of the pilots and I got friendly with some of the, the warrant officers and in aviation, there's all these nuances with warrant officers and commission officers and NCOs and there's all these different relationships you have to balance and you have to know like your boundary lines. And it's just like, it's very stressful. Um, and to be honest, we can everything was unlocked. Like there, you didn't lock, no one locked their doors or anything. And that was just kind of the standard. Like we're an organization that has a lot of trust inherently, which, um, is different than like a standard army organization. So that makes you feel better, but at the same time, it's hard not to have a couple of those moments where you're walking back from your back from the bathroom and you got your shower shoes on and you, you know you're about to go to bed and you think like, what would you, what would I do if someone came into my room? Like how would everyone around me react if they heard something happening? And I think I was fortunate because almost every time that those thoughts came to my mind, I thought, no, the guys around me, like they'd take care of me. They'd, they'd make sure I was okay. Like, cause we had, we had a compound kind of shared with, um, general, like other organizations and other like international, uh, aren't militaries and other. So like, it wasn't, my fears really weren't about people in my organization that were there. It was about just anything, like just j- generic uh, potential of something happening. Um, and I, I got close to a couple of the older pilot guys, and um, they kind of let me. It took me into a little group. Um, so I was, I was fortunate. I had, I felt like I was kind of protected in that respect. Like I had people that I knew were watching my back, and I knew would take care of me. And and even like did have a couple moments where they were like, hey, like come hang out with us or, you know, like I, I just, I did feel like I had, um, built those relationships and that trust with people that I I could, um, put my trust in them to take care of me. But unfortunately that's not always the case. And, um, during my, my deployment, I did travel a little bit and the place I went to, I did not feel safe. I did not click with anyone. I was only there for a couple of days. So like, it was very different experience in like that anxiety was way higher. And, and unfortunately, like that's the reality of some people's entire deployments is, you know, constant anxiety because you just don't know who you can trust. And um, you know, you're kind of thrown in with a bunch of strangers in some cases. And, and you you're lucky when you find strangers that you click with and you can trust. And that's that's not something that's always going to happen. So I think being in a deployed environment when you're already away from home and your emotions and your hormones and your stress is already way higher is something that women have to balance and, and manage so much more carefully. Than men and that was also something I dealt with is like towards the end of my deployment i kind of hit that like um anxiety like i i was restless um and I, being an extrovert extrovert i think it was because i didn't have some of those social connections and those um opportunities for that like release of a little bit of that energy and it it definitely created some um uh moments where i could have handled hey, talking to my husband better <laughs> and i definitely blew up on him a couple times just emotionally it was like not having it um so i think future deployments i will be better equipped to manage those situations but um there's also no one to mentor women through deployments like who, who do you ask how to manage when you get your period or like random crap happens to you like, I don't know what I'm doing right now like this is ridiculous. There's no one to ask how that works. So that also makes it tough and you have to ask the guys for things and sometimes the guys don't handle those kind of questions very well. So um, I think it's just like I, I've been, I think I've been fortunate to be honest, like I've had a really good experience and I think that's a, the nature of my organization more so than it is about um, the army as a whole, unfortunately.
0: I, just before you ask your next question, Chandler, I just, I, I had, there was two things that you said that I, I wanted to like, just um, highlight was I, I, you know, I heard you, you talk about the trust aspect and I think that's so interesting because we do like trust is obviously like an army value kind of thing. Like it is one of our bedrock organization values. Um, but I think what you highlight there is like, trust has to be earned. Like, even though it's part of our profession, um, I think it's really awesome that you, you you do kind of highlight that that trust is not immediately there when you meet new people, and that's just a relationship building thing. And I think the other thing that you said that I, I that I really resonated with was that as those assumptions that exist when a man and a woman are seen together that don't exist for when, so if a man and another man were going out and doing all those activities that you said, no one would bat an eye, it would just be like very normal. And I think it's great that the organization that you're part of has that culture of not making assumptions, but by and large, that's, you know, you know, and that happens in society and it happens in the military as those assumptions are made. So I think it's great that you highlight that and that that that's an experience that women especially have in the military and that there's always some underlying assumption about why they're with another person. But in a male-dominated space, there's only so many people you can be friends with. And if you're the only woman, then of course you're going to have male friends. So I just, I wanted to kind of just say that those two things really resonated with me. And I I know, I know Chandler has another question, so I'll, I'll line it up for her.
1: Yeah, no, I'm glad that you mentioned that, because I do think those are both pretty universal experiences. And I do, I did really enjoy your conversation about uh, about the trust aspect, about building that trust, and about the isolation of a deployed environment, especially with the battle space being the way that it is right now. You're not always actively engaged um, in the same way that you might have been during different periods of time. And so when you have that kind of stagnancy in, in that area, it can lead to some like rumination, you know, like you said, that anxiety, different, different emotional experiences that you might not be equipped to handle. So um, I'm glad that you addressed that because I think that's a universal experience across service members. But I also think that in in a situation where you are the only woman, it's not that it's not that you can't connect with men, but it is that there, there are these underlying assumptions that might exist. And there are kind of limitations maybe to that, that you aren't necessarily being able to fulfill. Um, I think the only real question I had is like, is there something, you, you had this broad experience, you've you've been part of some of the first women to do some of these jobs. Is there anything that you wish that you would have done differently? Or what are some like hard lessons that you have learned that you would tell younger Lieutenant Kelly?
2: Uh, I wish I'd spoke up at more, um, more opportunity. I wish I'd called out my male counterparts a couple more times too. Um, I happen to be a little bit more confrontational than some, <laughs> so <laughs> I may have uh, stepped up more than other people would have, um, and uh, I had two exos, so um, while well, I was a pursue. and I ended up yelling at both of them during their time as my exos one was both of them were actually at the end of their 10 years, my exos, ironically, but one was, uh, I just called him out on his crap in his office. And then one was he, uh, he decided to inter- have an altercation of yelling at me in the field at NTC. And that was really fun. Um, and I lost all respect for him after that and pretty much just was like called about every opportunity I got after that. But So I think it's easy to call people out when it's blatant and when it's obvious. And that's like when I definitely did it. In those two instances, I definitely called those people out because they were just blatantly rude and disrespectful. And anyone would have called them out in those situations. I think the places I wish I would have been more aware and more um, nuanced was when it was subtler and when it was more undertoned. And when at the training meeting week one, I made a suggestion about training or something we should do. And then week two, the following week, another guy made the same suggestion. That opinion was taken as like, oh, that's a great idea, even though I had said the same thing. Um, And like moments like that, where you kind of just shake your head and say, like, not to say that you lay down and let people do stuff but sometimes the easier path is just to not be confrontational about it and just to let it happen. But the problem is those, those people who do that will keep doing it to other women and to other people. And something I've always told any of my friends when they have, you know, issues where there might be some sexist behavior happening. I say, you know what, like if they're doing it to you, they're doing it to people. And if you're a lieutenant and they're doing it to you, they're probably doing it worse to the soldiers. So I think I just wish I'd, maybe address those even as like developmental opportunities rather than like not necessarily confrontational experiences, but like, Hey, like what you said came off bad. Like you need to think just being more able to kind of check people where they're at, um, and acknowledge that it's okay for me to call people out. And it, it, it's hard. Like you don't want to isolate yourself from your fellow platoon leaders or from the platoon sergeants or, or the leaders in your company, but honestly, you're better off isolating yourself and protecting people in the future than you are letting it slide. So I just I just wish I'd spoken up for myself a few more times um, and that I had acknowledged those moments faster so I could address them sooner um, for sure. And then I think seeking out leaders that care um, and that are gonna help you in that kind of fight for yourself, for your career, um, I'm I'm very much like a people-oriented person. I like to make like relation build relationships. So I think I have a a better time with that than some. But I don't think I see them as like mentors necessarily. And I think I need to look more for that like I wish I'd look more for that mentorship at a younger lieutenant age, um, because I think that's when you need it the most. Is when you're that brand new lieutenant in a company. Freaking butter bar, the only female, and you're just like lost in the sauce and you're like floundering. So I think, um, there had been opportunities that I could have leaned on the women that were in my battalion and other positions. And I definitely didn't take those opportunities. So I wish I'd kind of, um, l- trusted the sisterhood a little bit more, um, for like lack of a better term. But yeah, I, I yeah, I think mostly just like taking those developmental opportunities to kind of, especially for my peers, Leaders, you can't really change that much as a second or first attendant, but um, my peers, I, I, sh- I could have taken more opportunity to have some moral courage and kind of like calm out, basically.
0: Yeah, I mean, I I love that. I think that um, a couple of things in that just really resonated with me, like just the moral courage to, to stand up for First, like things that happen to you and, and being able to just address them where they're at, um, I, I think is a really hard thing. And I mean, I know I still struggle with it and that there are times when I look back on my career and I'm like, man, I should have said something. And you kind of look at it and you're like, man, I didn't realize it was happening to me at the time. But now in like my maturity, and <laughs> as I'm grown up and you look back and you're like, man, I, I should have corrected that. So I think that's a really important message for young leaders and, and especially young women um, who are coming up in the military who might not have had a lot of experience. um. Standing up for themselves, um, we're not necessarily conditioned to do that. So that's a really important thing to highlight. Um and I and I love trusting a sisterhood. I think that's something that we struggle with as women is that we we do um expect um maybe some competition between other women because we have to fight each other to be like the only woman in the room. And so instead of being competitive to other. To the whole organization we're competitive against each other so i think there's definitely some truth to that so um i i mean i i really have appreciated the you know the experience you've shared with us today and i i think i have one more question uh chandler i don't know if you have any other questions before i i line mine up um but we'll end it on this um what is one practical thing you think the army um, can do to increase retention among junior officers and especially women <laughs>
2: Well, I know it's a loaded question. <laughs> Finish it with like the most loaded por- question of the hour. Um, gosh, what can they do? Well, You gotta be careful. So I'm gonna I'm gonna tee up another. Uh, this might not answer your question, Joe, but this is something that's been like close to my heart about being a woman in the military that is going to be controversial. I'm gonna put it out there. Like this is not going to sit well with a lot of women. Um, but I want us to like call ourselves out a little bit as women in the military. We join the army to do something. We join the military to do something. Especially if you joined in a combat arms position. You joined to do something. That is, that is, you're not sitting on your backside doing nothing. So I, I just challenge us to be more bold about being okay with being uncomfortable with situations. Because I think we're asking the army to bend over backwards and change itself and change a system. That maybe isn't the problem. Maybe we're asking too much of it. And and I say this, and this is kind of the controversial part is when it comes to having kids in the military, is something that's like really that's I think the I think that's the crux of it for women, right? The crux of whether I stay or I go is my family. It's the ability to have my babies, have my husband, have my family, and still have my career. And that is the crux of every woman's struggles, whether in the military or not. That is every modern woman's struggle is whether you have a family and you also keep your career. And I think what we're asking the military to do a lot and we're asking the army to do a lot is make all these concessions for us as women to have children. And I'm not saying we shouldn't be supporting our females who are moms. like trust me, I don't want to be that mom that's not supported when I one day have children. and it's not lost me that I'm also speaking from a place of like not having kids yet, so like I don't really know. The full extent of the experience but from a leader perspective from a soldier to soldier perspective like hearing what my soldiers have said about women who have babies and all the things that come with that um the military has one of the if not the best paternity maternity plans in the country modern society does not give women paid time off like the army does we are actually extremely fortunate to have what we have and to me, we're improving our own foxhole, which is incredible, but we have to be careful how much we ask for without compromising the mission that we're volunteering to do. Like this is a volunteer job. If I'm volunteering to be in a combat arms position, I'm volunteering to be up front where like the fighting is happening. And that is not a place where I can be if I'm having a baby. So it's like we have to meet the army where it's at and where it's what it's asking us to do and we're volunteering to do. Like we chose these jobs. And I think we have to be um, a little bit more a little bit more willing to be uncomfortable with what we're dealing with because we volunteer to do something really, really freaking hard. Being a service member, doing what we do is not easy. And I think sometimes we try to blame it on the military where it's honestly, blame it on like the system where it's honestly just the job we chose and maybe that's not the right job to be in. Um, I think from a retention standpoint, the Army has to keep focusing on its people and its its leaders. I think the Army has a problem with toxic leaders that are not getting called out. Leaders that are getting away with stuff, you know, investigations are getting swept under the rug. I I don't think like people say, oh, make an IG complaint or, oh, complain EO or what all these, you know, like arbitrary things we we say are ways to, to call out toxic leaders. But I have watched toxic leaders skate by and become even more senior, and in charge of even more people, and you kind of feel helpless about that, and I think the systems in place to take care of toxic leaders, the ones that are subtly toxic, not the, like, and I don't think we're allowed to say toxic leaders anymore, I think it's an ineffective leader now, actually, is, like, the actual phrase, like, the army changed it, Um, which is more to my point, honestly, about the fact that we do not have an effective system to fix it, but I think, like, people who don't take care of their soldiers, women or not, are the ones that are we're keeping in the army and we're making it so hard to like be in the army as a good person. Like you're it, like Joe, you and I have had this conversation before where it's like you want to be the the leader that stays because you want to be that good leader that takes care of their people, but because of all the bad ones that are up there, you don't want to deal with them. You don't want to stay like I don't I don't want to be an iron major as an engineer dealing with that crap, but that looks miserable. But I probably need to be up there being an engineer major, being a lieutenant colonel, being like a battalion commander to change it or to even have an inkling of a potential to change it. But I'm probably not going to get there. Like I'm going to switch out and do something else before that point because I don't have the tolerance for that kind of behavior. So the army system does not allow for us to internally like vet ourselves and to internally police ourselves up well. Um, and I think that's a travesty because I think we have a lot of really good lieutenants and junior leaders who could easily call out some real bad senior leaders. We don't give them a platform or an opportunity because we basically don't wanna hear that we picked bad people to be in charge of other people. So I think that is like a massive reason why we don't have good leaders staying in the army because we don't take care of our people. We say people first and we don't mean it. General McConville puts out guidance that senior leaders, brigade and below, do not follow blatantly, just don't care babies, weddings, whatever those, all that whole like spectrum of things that he put out. I've had, Taylor has had to pull that document out and show it to his leaders to be like, we need to let the soldier do things because leaders are not actually following the guidance. So it's great when like generals are making all these statements and these bold like people first comments, but the way our junior, like junior senior leaders essentially are interpreting that Does not protect our people. So they're getting out. And that's really where the, where the, you know, you're putting your money where your mouth is. And that's where the rubber hits the road. So I don't, I I think, unfortunately, I think we're kind of shooting ourselves in the foot because we're letting the bad ones get through and we're losing the good ones because the bad ones do get through and the good ones don't want to spend time with them. And as women, we already have an uphill battle being the only ones in the room. Why do you want to be the only ones in the room with toxic jerks who don't want to respect you? So, I mean, like it's, it's tough. It's really tough. I don't think there's a good answer for your question, but I think women have to manage expectations because we did choose a job. that's hard and you're not going to be able to do everything you want all the time. And, and I think we're asking a lot of the army to sacrifice a person, a body, a number. What? And I mean, right now we're a garrison army and I get that. So everyone's like, we can afford to sacrifice that, but that's not the way an army should be training. That's not the way an army should be like building themselves because we're also 30% down on retention rates. So yeah, we might be in a garrison environment. We're already super short man and you're already asking one person to do the job of three. So when you have someone off on pregnancy leave, again, not that I'm not encouraging women, I want to have kids one day in the army, but we have to manage expectations on what is realistic and what we're asking our like, let buddies left and right of us to do while we do these things like if we're volunteering to be that person in that breach we have to be there because if we're not there they're going to look down on us and we're we're basically setting ourselves up for these like sexist comments because we're not there we're not there to be in the breach and and sometimes it's struggling cuz like you you don't want to be like i think we take on such a role of trying to beat ourselves up to be everywhere all the time and be perfect all the time and we can't make mistakes because it reflects on the whole gender and I think that is something even I'm working on and like realizing I'm one person I cannot represent the whole woman womanhood in my one job but that doesn't mean I'm going to let like I'm gonna it's a balance I think we have to find a middle ground that's giving ourselves grace to be women and be feminine and to have empathy and compassion in the office where maybe men don't because we balance out sometimes their hard-headedness which is great but also realizing we did volunteer for a very physically and mentally and emotionally demanding job that we have a job to do and in the real world you can't not do your job and keep your job the military gives us a lot of like a lot of freedom to kind of do our jobs the way we want so i think um, it's finding a balance. It really is. And I think the military needs to give us a chance to to kind of self-select ourselves, some better leaders, because that is where we're losing all of our, our junior officers is just toxic leaders. Taylor has had some issues recently where he doesn't know if he wants to stay in the army. And if you'd ask him three years ago, if he was staying in, he'd said he was going to fly forever. He wanted to be in the army forever, just fly. And now Toxic leaders have caused a man who I think is going to be a great leader one day in charge of a company to question whether he wants to stay in the army. So it just goes to show sometimes it's about the people, and not about the systems.
1: Yeah. And I think I think that's what I was gonna kind of sum that up with is in reconciling those two ideas, maybe it's not necessarily the paternity and maternity leave that exists, especially the recent improved ones. They just mm-hmm. they just modified it, but maybe it's more so the leadership that's in place that isn't being empathetic to family needs, that isn't being empathetic to their female soldiers needs. Like you said, like you're seeking out mentors who are going to understand that you want children one day, that you want a family, but that you also want to be an army leader and that those two things don't have to be mutually exclusive. Um, so if your leadership understands that obviously it just makes it a better environment for everybody um, I, we're finding that I think across the board it's something that we're, we're kind of seeing as a trend is it might not be systems it might be a personnel issue a personnel interaction issue so yeah. it's interesting that you said that yeah
0: yeah we see the you know I, I think in some of our conversations it's, it's it's come across that it's not necessarily the policy that's the issue. The policies are great, but when it's implemented and at that interactional level, that's where some of that falls apart. And I appreciate that you've kind of, you kind of turned that question on its head and that you recognize that there are some things that we as people need to also do to increase retention, like, you know, especially women, you know, like understanding that some of it is on us um, to either step up to the plate or not. And that's what we signed up for. So, and I appreciate that perspective. And, And even if it's, a, a difficult one to consider. I think it's an important one to hear, um, because, um, like you said, like it's, it's volunteer and, and it's, it's a difficult job, you know, being in the military and being in combat arms is, is a commitment more than anything else in the world. So, um, I, I think that those are really, um, important things to, to hear and to acknowledge that that's out there. Um, and, and I really appreciate you sharing it.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for your time, Jordan. It's been great talking to you. Um, this has been awesome.
2: Yeah, thanks, guys. I appreciate it. Yeah, it's just, I'm glad you guys are creating a forum for this. I think it's it's something we need to have these conversations. And I think a lot of people are having them behind closed doors and having them at home, but we're not sharing that knowledge and information and, and bring it together and maybe making changes with it, you know.
0: Yeah, I, I, I mean, absolutely. I hope that, you know, some some persons out there listening to um, and will be able to listen to this and, and hear your story and then be inspired by it. So we really appreciate you sharing your experiences as a as a as an army woman and, and as a leader. As you said, it doesn't matter that you're, you're not you're not a female combat engineer, you're a combat engineer. And I think that's really important to highlight. So thank you so much for your time. Do you have any parting words before we, we sign off?
2: no i I just I thank you guys for doing this this is awesome um and I think we need more platforms to kind of share and uh and, and create space for us to discuss and and disagree maybe but maybe make some changes make make some some conversation that spurs someone to change something somewhere maybe yeah. that's one of us <laughs> yes.
0: Hey folks, we hope you enjoyed today's episode. Please rate and review, subscribe and save. We want to reach as many people as possible and these small things make a huge
2: difference in expanding our audience. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next week.